So I had heard that the Matahey 100 was one tough race, but I was not prepared for what I'd gotten myself into. Pre-ride of the opening parts of the trail a few days before the race was a big wake-up call for what was ahead, but I still had no idea what was in store for me on race day. Little quote from the the kickoff of my race report that you'll find actually on the website, the full written one, but uh, I thought I would go ahead and read that verbatim. But anyways, so this is the the 2015 Matahey 100 race report. I'm actually recording this in 2017, so if you've been following along, you you know that I decided to kick off a podcast recently. And one of the things that I'm doing in the process of kicking off this podcast is going back in time and creating audio versions of my old race reports. That's not what this whole podcast is going to be about, but the race reports are something that has brought people to the website and uh, creates a lot of the traffic that I do get on the website. So that's why I'm doing this. Anyway, so this was uh, my third 100 mile, 100 miler, uh, with my first two being actually one race, the Lutzen 99er. So I did the Lutzen 99er in 2014, uh, which was my first one, my first 100 miler and my first Lutzen 99er. And then in 2015, I did the Lutzen 99er again, and I finished it in 2015, just under seven hours, like 6.58, something like that. Uh, and then about five or six weeks later was this race, the, the Matahey 100. Um, and I, I totally knew there was a completely different level of race. I mean, I, I love the Lutzen 99. It's a fantastic weekend. I think it's a great race. It's really well run. Uh, but the, the Matahey was going to be one of those huge bucket list type challenge races. Uh, in the, in the Lutzen can be that too. For, for, for many people. Uh, but the Matahey I knew was going to be like a, an entirely new level. For instance, coming off of the Lutzen and finishing it just under seven hours, uh, I was figuring a 12 plus hour time on the Matahey. I figured if I finished the Matahey in 12, I was going to, that would be a really, really great race for me. Uh, especially with kind of where I was at at that time in my racing. The, uh, we got out there early. So we, we got out there like Tuesday night. Uh, we were making a, a family vacation out of it. So we pulled our trailer out, took the kids out. Uh, we were going to go do the Theodore Roosevelt National Park stuff. Kids see the bison. Uh, the funny thing is I think they got a kick out of the prairie dogs more than anything. Uh, but anyways, so we got out there. I was able to do a little pre-ride on Wednesday. Went up the opening part of the trail uh, checked it out, realized how desolate the land was, uh, all that kind of stuff. Thursday, we did a, uh, we actually drove out some of the, the checkpoints just to ch- check it out. And then also wanted to check out the river crossing because my wife was going to drive the truck from checkpoint to checkpoint just to kind of watch the race and take some pictures and, just, you know, just follow through the race. We didn't, we didn't have any big plans for her to provide a lot of aid support at the time, <laughs> until we did that drive and realized how how big of a deal this race was and how how exposed you are on the land how out in the middle of the nowhere you are and then also after we got out there it was it was hot and then the the forecast was going to be really hot for Saturday so anyways we got to check out the river crossing wife was a bit comfortable that she was able to make it across it with the truck um and, uh, 
And then we decided it was probably a good idea for her to carry a cooler and some cold water and that kind of stuff and maybe some Cokes and bananas uh, instead of me relying solely on the, the checkpoints and the aid stations. Uh, I mean, I had drop bags and that kind of thing too. But the uh, Friday I was able to do another quick little pre-ride. And I just remember on those pre-rides, the heat getting to me a little bit, just going up that opening climb and going, wow, this is, this is going to be hot. And I'm just, this is like the first one. And then the other thing that hit me was, I'm going to be doing this all day long, this up, up and down. Right. And these are, you know, these are some of these climbs are, they're bigger climbs than I have back here in, in Minnesota as well and doing them all day long. But anyways, so a quick, quick thing on the, the course, if you go back to some of my old race reports, I, I didn't really do much description of what the course was and that kind of thing. And in my new ones, you'll see that I, I do put a map in there and then I've usually put a, a elevation profile. So I've actually gone back to my old Mod Hay race report and I've added those into it so that they're there. The other thing that I've done is in my new race reports, I typically, when I break down the course in sections, I also provide a map the uh, elevation profile and whatnot for that section of trail. I've actually also gone back to my old Matahe race report, added those into it as well. So it's all there. But anyways, Matahe 100, 100 mile point to point. I think it's actually around 106. Uh, my mileage came out to about 107 because I missed a turn at some point, which I'll, I'll, I'll uh, not a turn. I turned and shouldn't have turned. Uh, Followed a crick bed, but I'll get to that in the report. Uh, but anyways, the start line's about 20 minutes south of Watford City at the CCC campground. Uh, and then it ends in Medora, North Dakota. And it, it traverses some extremely remote terrain. And you're, you're just exposed. I mean, there's barely, there's, there's barely any trees on the course. Um, it's, I'd consider the riding to be rugged, but not technical and everybody kind of has their own terms for that. I mean, I've definitely ridden much rougher, rockier, harder trail. Well, especially not at the time I hadn't really, but, uh, now I have, uh, but yeah, I would consider it a, a rugged, but not, not technical. Um, you know, there's just about everything. Either there's, there's loose rocks and there's like super hard packed, but like rutted, uh, the trail can be um, eroded in places and, and that type of stuff. Um, all that kind of thing. So the elevation profile, there is like barely any flat stuff on this, this course for most of it, you're either going up or down. Anything that's flat comes very early in the race. So after that first climb, you've get a uh, couple of miles through the prairie uh, you drop down again, you climb back out and then, you know, you got the gravel road and there's a little bit of flat on that gravel, but very much of the rest of the course is, uh, either up or down. And even if it's not extreme, uh, you know, um, uh, climbing and it's when you're just kind of grinding on even some of the false flats, but if you look at the elevation profile, you're going up or down. And when you're going downhill, it's not necessarily a big break because even through some of like the open prairie sections, you know, uh, you'll be flying, but you're on your toes because the, the trail it's going through pastures and that type of thing. And it, 
there, there could be ruts or things erode and you kind of, you got to stay on your toes. So, uh, and then, you know, between mile 50 and 79, that's, that's what everybody talks about is the toughest part. Uh, there's just a ton of climbs. Now, no, they're not as big as the opening climb or even, yeah, the first two climbs are bigger than I think the rest of them, but it's that, that constant up and down, you climb up, you go down and then back up again. Uh, and the, the grades on them can get pretty steep. So let's, uh, let's start jumping, jumping right into it, I guess. The, uh, oh, first thing, you know what I'll mention is, 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 is Nick Yabera the, and, and I hope I pronounced that correctly. He's a race director. He does, he does a fantastic job of the sense, the send off. It's, uh, you know, he does the national anthem and then he, he does a quote from Theodore Roosevelt and it, it's awesome. It's, it's, he does a really, really great job at the start line. And, and, uh, what I had wrote in my race report is as Nick was doing the send off and that type of thing is like the thoughts in my head of like, this is going to be epic. We're setting in. So <clears throat> anyways, so start line. To checkpoint A. So checkpoint A is at, at the time I did, it was mile 10, which was actually in some of the first gravel road section. So I, I eased my way up the first climb in line with the other riders. And I had set myself up uh, around mid-pack, maybe a little ahead of mid-pack at the start line. Um, when I had gotten up there, there was quite a few people already in line. And then uh, I guess maybe I just didn't have uh, enough confidence to go squeeze myself up toward the front. And then I, I also had decided that I might take it easy on the, the opening climb anyway. So uh, there were a couple of guys that got antsy that uh, worked up past us when we were going up that climb. But I, I knew that I had a couple of miles of open prairie at the top of the climb. And then this was also that I could make up some some air, uh, some air time. And then I, I knew this was the first of many climbs all day long. So once we got to the top, I did jump around a few riders and made my way across a couple of gaps in the prairie to make up some spots. After that prairie section, uh, we were dropped back into the bottom of Valley, uh, for another climb out before getting to checkpoint a, uh, so that was, we dropped down. There's a Creek bed climbed out like a grassy climb out. And he got back out of that gravel. Uh, about this time I figured it was time for some breakfast. Uh, I popped out one of my homemade crispy bars. My wife had made like a bunch of these homemade crispy bars, thought it was something I would, I would try out. I, I enjoyed them actually. Um, so I ate one of those while I spun along, uh, kind of an easy pace up the, up the gravel road, uh, recovered from the climbs a little bit at the same time. Part of my instincts wanted me to kind of hit nail the gravel, right? Like you would at say like a Lutzen race, you get out on the gravel and you just, you bust, bust tail. And, um, but I, I didn't think it was the right thing for me to do at this time. So, so there I was. I, was, I made it to the first 10 miles. So checkpoint A, so the 10 mile mark to mile 25, which is aid station one. So something I didn't mention is the aid stations are basically every 25 miles. Not exactly on the 25s, but, but close. Uh, the next section of trail had an amazing descent that switched back down the edge of a ridge. And I remember this. It was, we went past this like little cabin and then you hit some single track that then went down the edge of the plateau and it was, it was awesome. Uh, 
This was my first real taste of what some of the trail ahead was to look like. I got a bit excited at this point and thought how awesome it was to have the opportunity to race on a trail like this. Right about mile 17, I came down into a crick bed and then followed the edge of the crick. A little over a half a mile later, the trail got sketchy and there were no 4x4 posts in sight. And that's when I realized it was not on the Matahe Trail anymore. There were actually two other riders that were with me at this point. Uh, after backtracking, when we we kind of stopped and looked around, like, no, I think we're on the trail. And then I could see somebody up looking around. And it was it was one of those things that you kind of look, you thought you were on a trail, but then it was like getting pretty sketchy. And you keep moving forward and you're like, no, something's not right here. And um, because it's rugged out there. So, and there's, there's cow trails and paths and that kind of thing. So you kind of feel like you're on the trail and, oh, maybe it's just a little rough section of trail that's not mowed that well, whatever. But eventually we, it was time to turn around. So after backtracking about a half a mile, we found where this mistake had been made. Uh, Basically, other than the tire tracks headed down the creek bed. So some other people had obviously done the same thing. Uh, But I have no idea why we headed headed that way in the trail because you could see in the creek bed the trail went right up the other side but i i think what it was is when when you hit the creek bed you kind of hit it you didn't hit it directly perpendicular you kind of hit it at an angle and it was a dried up creek bed a couple other people had headed down and left and uh if you're sometimes your head's down you just don't see it you're coming down into the the creek bed and like if you just look up across the other side you see the trail going going up the other side um but anyways, so I lost, I lost over 10 minutes according to my Garmin. Uh, but that's also when things kind of set in that about the ruggedness of this trail and that, you know, we all do this too in races, right? You, you're watching a, a wheel and, and then that's how like 12, 15 people end up going off course is because the first guy misses and everybody else is just following a wheel. And that was my reminder that day that, for the next 80 some miles, I shouldn't be watching a wheel. I need to be watching where I'm going. So at mile 19, I came up on a long single file line of riders waiting to traverse down a steep bank across the creek bed and up the other side. And I could see some of the, I remember seeing some of the people in that line were people that I had passed in the opening prairie or people that I knew, knew were behind me. I was like, okay, well, I'd yeah, I lost over 10 minutes. So, uh, I remember as, so I've, I'm going through my race report here now. So some of it I'm reading, some of it I'm talking from memory, but so as I picked up my bike to slide my way down the, the slope to the creek bed, the guy behind me made a joke saying, I have an aluminum frame. I'm just going to toss it over the edge and pick it up at the bottom is a pretty deep creek bed. It was one of those, you kind of like, you weren't going to like, your wheels weren't going to stay on the ground with your bike. It was just, if I remember correctly, it was a bike over the shoulder, kind of sliding all the way down a little bit on your rear end and shoes full and filling full of gravel. But um, I wrote this in my race report, but I, I love the humor of, of riders early in races. And I said early in races because it doesn't happen a lot toward the end of a race. People tend to get a little more quiet the uh, toward the end. But... Anyways, I, I'm, I'm one that I always do. I do enjoy 
some sarcasm and some kidding along the trail myself. So, um, my shoe had filled with gravel as I, and sand as I slid down the creek bed. And I remember making some, uh, I guess I actually don't remember it now. I, I, I wrote in here, but the, uh, I must have made some verbal complaint about it because I wrote in here that's the guy in front of me. And I do remember this said, uh, good. It'll give you something to think about for the next few hours. But, uh, anyways, back to the race. Uh, we got backed up while working our way up the switchbacks and I was getting pretty antsy. I remember this at the time, this, after that creek bed, it was a pretty narrow trail and we were lined up climbing all the way out of it. Um, as I could look up, I could see that we'd be climbing for quite some time and I kept, and I kept patient uh, and eventually worked my way around a few riders when we got out of the switchbacks. Uh, I did want to get out in front of as many people in this group as I could because I knew there was whatever it was going to be three, four miles up at this point, two miles up, whatever it was, we'd be coming to that aid station. I don't want to come into that aid station stacked up. Um, cause all I was going to do is fill my water. Uh, <clears throat> so aid station one mile 25 to checkpoint B, which was at mile 38 back in 2015. Uh, so I left aid station one at a race time of two hours and 30 minutes. I was feeling, feeling good. I knew it was, uh, starting to get hot and the second half of the race was going to be brutal from the heat alone. So I was... I was towing the line and pushing my current pace while still saving some for the afternoon. I assumed that my pace would slow later in the day, regardless of how easy I took it at this point. So at the same time, I, I kind of need to keep pushing it. Right. Um, and this is, I actually talk about this a little bit now and I don't, I don't want to dive into it a, a big, big here, but this was, this was a couple of years ago and this was, when I was still trying to figure out that, like, how hard do you go out and that type of thing, I, I have some different opinions on it, on it now. And it's funny to look back at this because this kind of alludes to those thoughts that come up in me later is that like over the day, over the time of a race that, you know, you're going to, you're going to fatigue regardless. So, you know, don't, you can't hold back too much at the beginning of the race. I guess that's my point. Um, you know, you don't want to go out and blow yourself up, but at the same time, you know, you're going to fatigue as a function of time as well. So anyway, um, we had a couple other climbs and another descent before riding through checkpoint B. And, uh, then my, my wife had decided to skip checkpoint B. She headed straight for checkpoint C. So some of those, if you're headed out there, Take a look at the distance between checkpoints and then the driving route to get to those checkpoints. Sometimes it's not going to be, it may not be possible depending on how fast the rider's going for your SAG vehicle to make it to every single one. So I think this was one of those that, um, uh, and you know, and there's a couple of them that are like, a out and back backtrack the checkpoint, but whatever it is, I, I, I think my wife figured if she went to B, she'd probably miss me at C and then have to figure out where I was at. So she decided to just skip ahead to keep out in front of me. So checkpoint B to checkpoint C. So this is going mile 38 to mile 44. So what I've written in here is my Garmin didn't show it, but this next section up to Goat Pass is where I could start feeling the heat building up and setting in. Uh, 
And at the time, I had to think that my Garmin temperature was off by 10 degrees or so because it only showed like 48 degrees for the start of the race. And I definitely didn't remember it feeling that cold. Uh, it showed the temps coming through Goat Pass to be just over 80 degrees, which would have been just after 11 a.m. Um, I remember going going through Goat Pass. And I remember that being a point where the heat, like I was starting to feel like hot, uh, but not not super hot. It's, you know, it starts, starts stack, starts coming up on you a little bit. Uh, there were some volunteers or, or whoever it was, there were some people out on goat pass handing out cups of water. Uh, I remember they had a little water jug cooler out there. Uh, as I was coming across, they yelled that they had water and I could either drink it or dump it my choice. And then I, I knew it was getting hot at that point. Cause I chose to, to dump the water over my head. Uh, yelled out a big thank you to it. I, I don't know who they were, if they were actually volunteers or local or or whatever, but they were having a good time out there passing some water out and uh, I was thankful for it. So uh, it's awesome. The uh, checkpoint C. So that was mile 44 to the mile 58 station. So... I had just run out of water uh, before checkpoint C, but then I went ahead and rode through checkpoint C anyways and started looking uh, for my wife just up the road past the past the checkpoint instead. Um, there was a little bit of climb and then a fast gravel descent um, out on that gravel. Filled my, my camel back up uh, from some cold water my wife had. Kids looked like they were still having having a good time. They were ringing cowbells out the window of the truck. High five! I gave them a high five as I I rode off and yelled to my wife that I'd see her on the other side of the river. But from there, uh, there was about three miles of descent before hitting the river crossing. And I, I can't remember exactly what the terrain was like. And even after the race, this is why I rode it there. I, I couldn't remember at the time. But it, it wasn't super fast uh, because the speeds of my Garmin... Uh, at that section topped out at about 20 miles per hour for just a split second. So there might've been a short little downhill or something, but uh, I believe it was a mix of bench cut ledges with a bit of prairie mixed in. I finally arrived at the river, felt like I had hit a major milestone. I took my shoes off and crossed in my socks. Once to the other side, I peeled off my wet socks, put on my spare socks that I had packed in my camelback. We had another 56 miles to ride and I didn't want to put wet socks back in my dry shoes. It was a short distance up a steep grade of switchbacks from there to aid station number two. Little tip on this. So I've heard different variations. Uh, I've heard that people have a spare pair of shoes that they keep in their 50 mile drop bag. Uh, that That's awesome too. So I guess they would, uh, if you have a spare pair of shoes, they didn't even worry about taking shoes off, right? They just hit the river, went across it in their shoes and socks, put new socks and shoes on at you know, the aid station a couple miles later. Um, I think most people probably don't have a spare pair of shoes. So I opted to carry a dry pair of socks. I just had an extra pair of socks. I had my camelback or back jersey pocket. I can't remember. And uh, they were just in a Ziploc bag. They don't take a lot of space, not not any extra weight really. Uh, so I just, when I got to the river, I took my shoes off. I walked across the river in my socks because I don't know, I just didn't want to, I didn't know it was on the bottom of the river. So I didn't want to cut my feet up or something like that. If there was sharp rocks or whatever, I, I don't know. Um, 
And then when I got across the other side of the river, I took the wet socks off, put the dry ones on. So at least I was putting dry, dry socks and feet back into my shoes. I did not want to put my wet socks back into the dry shoes because they would just make my, my shoes wet. Anyways, I saw people walking across uh, in their shoes and that kind of thing. And I just, man, anyways, I my recommendation is if you don't have a spare pair of shoes to leave in the, the 50 mile drop bag is uh, just carry a dry pair of extra pair of socks with you to swap out after the river crossing. Um, aid station two was pretty busy, but I found my drop bag fast swapped out. I had swapped out like all my food wrappers, grabbed fresh food. Um, if I remember correctly back to the time, I think I had carried on me all my food and stuff for the first 50 miles. And then at the 50 mile mark, I just did all my replenishment and swap. Uh, if I do remember correctly, I didn't, I don't think I even used all the food that I had on me. Uh, but I just, I had enough at the 50 mile mark for the whole second half of the race. I kind of planned everything out for like a 12 hour race, but then in my drop bags, I had all the extra stuff in case things weren't going to, things weren't going to plan the, oh boy, this is way harder than I thought. So, um, I even, I greased my chain, uh, lubed my chain, uh, cause it was getting noisy at that point already. And then, uh, I also changed my gloves just cause you know, your gloves get nasty, sweaty, whatnot. So, uh, my wife was just pulling into that aid station and I was, as I was wrapping up, uh, I had plenty of water, but I went ahead and topped it off with the cold water she had in the truck anyways. Um, I, 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 I'm laughing cause I'm thinking about this ahead of time, but I'll get to it. But so I had pulled up to the truck on my way out of the aid station, dumped a bunch of chamois butter down my drawers, uh, and then put some more sunscreen on. And I, I shared the chamois butter story cause it comes back up here soon. So anyways, so I, I left, uh, aid station two, uh, and headed out for checkpoint D checkpoint D would be at mile 58. So I left aid station two at a race time of five hours and nine minutes. So I was still in pretty good shape for having ridden 50 miles. Uh, the fatigue was starting to settle in a little bit. Uh, I can't remember exactly where it was at. Uh, it may have been coming up the switchbacks to aid station two, but somewhere in there I had felt the first leg cramp creeping its way up. Um, I had, I had been in that position before with some leg cramps. So I didn't let it, let it scare me. Um, the, uh, I knew I could kind of push through them, walk them off and, and, you know, whatever. So I needed to stay relaxed, just kept the steady pace, uh, take the opportunity to stretch quickly when I dismounted for the cattle gates and, and stay focused because the next, the next 25 miles were going to be the, the tough ones. Um, or what everyone said was going to be the toughest. So that's a note too. There's a lot of cattle gates out there. Uh, one thing, and I know, and I saw this recently, actually, I, I think on a, a post, if you are racing it, uh, make sure that, you know, the cattle gates need to close after you go through. They're there for a reason. They keep, keep the cattle between, between pastures. So, um, you know, you don't want to keep them held open. So, uh, the, but it, whenever I had to stop for a cattle gate, I used that opportunity to stretch because I'm already stopped, right? Like if I needed to grab food, it's like, why ride a mile and then stop again when I don't have to? So, I would kind of utilize the, oh, I'm stopping for a cat, uh, cattle gate. So that's when I'd grab another gel 
or stretch if I felt the cramp going on. And that's kind of how I felt. I fought off the, the cramps and reminded myself to grab food and, and that kind of thing. Uh, so about the chamois butter. And I, I still remember this and it's just funny. But as I'd worked my way down the trail, I was sliding all over my seat. I looked down to find chamois butter oozing out of my bib shorts everywhere. And it was actually it was actually running across my seat and actually had been dripping and running, like dripping down my seat post into my frame. Uh, not not like into frame, but on the frame and around <laughs> like the pivots and stuff in my, my rear suspension. It's, it's just funny. But uh, I had written in my race report that I had apparently gotten a little carried away with it. Not only was I greased up well, but so was the entire mid-frame section of my bike. Uh, my wife had later told me that as I had jumped on my bike to ride away from aid station two, she could see it squishing out of my shorts and she just like laughed. So anyways, I, cause when I pulled up to the truck, right, I just like opened them up and squeezed the chamois butter. And I definitely dropped a little too much in there. Apparently you're already like sweating and like wet and everything anyways. Right. So this stuff just, just ran out. Um, funny stuff. So after making a big, another big climb and descent, I arrived through checkpoint D. Uh, my wife had skipped checkpoint D as well, and then headed straight for E to just to make sure she could keep out in front of me. Um, I was feeling the heat, but needed to keep plugging along. I still had plenty of water to make it to the next checkpoint 10 miles away. And then as a reminder, again, I was carrying a camelback at this time with a hundred ounce bladder. Uh, so it's like a close to three liters uh, s- somewhere around there. Um, a note on that. So this is again, 2015. I'm recording this in 2017. I can't remember the last time I carried that, that hydration pack. Um, three liters is just, I just don't like carrying that much water on my back. And in most of the races I've done, right. So even this race, uh, you can get to new water often enough. So I carry a two liter hydration pack now, carry a two liter, uh, Ogeo pack. And it's a really, really slim pack. I really like the the bladder that's inside of it. Um, or at least the new, new Ogeo bladders. The first one I had, I didn't care for, but the, the one that I have in there now is fantastic. It's really easy to fill up. Uh, but I, I don't carry the three liter anymore. So, uh, and if I was to go do the Mata Hay again, I would not carry a three liter hydration pack again either. I would, I would carry my two liter. Um, anyways, just a side note on that. So partly the reason for me doing these reports, right. Is to offer a little bit of insight. Cause I've, I've gotten a few contacts here recently, the past month, people asking me a few questions about these types of topics as they read through my report. So I thought, well, if I'm going to do the audio, I can add in some of those tips and that kind of thing. So that's, I guess that's the benefit of me making the audio one. You don't have to read it yourself. You can listen to it in your car. And then as I'm reading through it, as long as you don't mind me, some of it I'm reading and then I'm trying to stop and offer some extra thoughts and things that I remember from that. So anyways, uh, checkpoint D to checkpoint E. Uh, so checkpoint D was mile 58 and now I'm headed to mile 67. So after four to five more climbs and descents, I finally arrived at checkpoint E. My pace had slowed over the past 10 miles with the repeated climbs. To be clear, the descents were not just nice old relaxing downhill rides through the meadow. They were, there, there were some 
uh, very technical bench cuts in the side of ravines that sometimes required an unclipping of my inside foot to work my way around the corners and down the hills. And so at the top of this, I think I had mentioned that I didn't consider it a technical riding. Um, that little description of the trail I actually wrote in here recently, so two years after I wrote the original report. So uh, basically, I guess I remember back to those, there's like those tight switchbacks, right? Right on the very edge of um, the plateaus, right? That drop down in the ravines. And I remember a couple of them that, yeah, I was a little nervous around them. I actually unclipped my inside foot and just kind of rolled around the the corner. Room. So I, today, I don't, like I said, I don't know that I consider it like technical, but uh, you could. So anyways, uh, when we did hit an open meadow downhill, it could be a nail biting 20 plus miles per hour ride at times with a finger on the brake and watching out for trail washouts and deep ruts that could take you by surprise. Not to mention after having ridden that many miles in the heat, your reaction time and senses just are not up to par. But to keep up the pace, it would require full-on attention grabbing downhill riding as there would be a granny gear grinding climb at the bottom of every hill. That's the thing. It always comes up in like any of these races, right? Like you have to take advantage of those downhills. So you you can't just like sit up and relax and mosey down them because, you know, if you have a, a race that you're going to try to, you know, say you got, let's talk about a different race. Say you have a race that you're going to try to, do a hundred mile race and finish it in eight hours. Right. I mean, you got to average 12 miles an hour or something like that. Right. The, uh, well, if you've got a whole bunch of climbs that you're climbing at three, four miles an hour, well, what are you going to have to do on the downhills? You're going to have to, going to have to kick it up. So anyways, I was still in good spirits at this point and had cramped only a couple more times. I topped off my water, slammed half a Coke and my wife dumped some cold water over my head. We had purchased some ice and some extra water jugs the night before, uh, just in case. So I had talked about this earlier. Um, glad we did that. If you're headed out there, have SAG Sport. Make sure they got water, cold water. Have them have a cooler with some ice and cold water. Um, I had originally planned to, like I said, use the aid stations and checkpoints, but then was found that the ice and the cold water that my wife wife through the truck was was the way to go uh i had also used uh some medical gauze and put a like made a head sweatband out of it like wrapped it around my forehead uh and this apparently is where i decided to, to change that because the first one was getting all ratted up but it helped for two things one the sweat uh just you know, i don't know why i haven't done this more often but like you're just pulling my glasses off to wipe sweat off my face but i need to go this is a good reminder i need to go back and use that medical gauze again. But it was also good for when uh, my wife would dump some cold water over my head or or I started using my water bottle later in the race just to like squirt water on my neck or over the top of my head just a little bit at a time uh, between checkpoints. That gauze would kind of hold some of that cold water around my head for a little bit to help keep me cool. But um, So checkpoint E to checkpoint F, mile 72. If I remember correctly, it was mostly open prairie between checkpoint E and F. However, we still had two climbs to tackle and the heat was really setting in. I was getting beat up at this point, but I was mentally in it and just kept steady. 
I didn't over push on the climbs and I let it rip on the prairies where I could, but knew that I had to be careful because the fatigue was setting in and would cause me to make mistakes if I wasn't careful. I think it might have been in one of these sections where I was barreling downhill through one of the prairies and I had to lock up the brakes to avoid sending myself off the trail into a washed out ditch. I finally made it to checkpoint F for a quick stop to down another half a Coke, top off my water, and had some more cold water poured over my head before heading on my way. Checkpoint F to checkpoint G at mile 76. It was only four more miles to checkpoint G, but it involved another couple of climbs and we were back into some of the rocky and dry clay areas where the heat was heavy. My Garmin shows over 100 degrees for this section. Uh, And at the time, I I wrote in my report that I was curious what other people were getting for uh, reports on their Garmin's after the fact, right? When they went and looked at their Strava file, their Garmin file, whatever. Because I remember my wife had told me that somebody had reported at one of the checkpoints that they had saw 115 on their device. Um, that that sounded pretty excessive to, to me. Um, I've traveled to India a few times. And I remember staying in Hyderabad, India for a week. And it was like 112 to 114 the entire time. And I, I, wrote, it, I wrote this in my race report. Um, and riding out there felt no different. But then again, right? Like I, I wasn't riding a bike in, in India when I was there. So anyways, I think anything over a hundred degrees and you're, you're pushing the limits like that and, and working hard, it's five, 10 degrees doesn't matter that much. But, uh, my Garmin peaked out at 105.8, uh, for anybody that's curious. So I, I think if I remember back, I had some people send me some messages after reading this later on and said that their Garmin hit, they'd seen like 108, whatnot. Um, it just, this is a good point time for a tip as well. So there's not many trees and there people would kind of like, if you'd find like a, a, if you stopped and you were down in those valleys where there's no wind and that sun just beating down in there. Um, I'm curious if that's where people was seeing some of the ridiculous temperatures uh, on their garments, if they just, they had to stop, take a break and they sat down in one of those valleys where the heat just kept building up and there was no wind and, or anything like that. But it, I don't know. My, my advice would be to, to keep moving. Just if you, not to stop down in there. And again, like this is 2017 and I'm hearing the weather forecast is going to be awesome. Like, like a high of 70 something for the race. So kind of wish I was head out there for it. Um, but anyways, I don't know. And most of it, like, keep moving if you can. So anyways, I was feeling strong still. My spirits were high. Conserving some energy at the beginning of the race had paid off. I had come up on some other riders and could tell the heat and climbs were starting to take a toll on everyone. Uh, there, I remember coming up on a section and there was actually a few trees. And there was there was a, a few guys sitting under the trees catching some shade and uh, we exchanged a few words about how far the next aid station was and whatnot. And I kept going. Um, I got a bit of a second win there, mostly of adrenaline and excitement as I had realized I was working my way up in finishing spots as well. Um, back at checkpoint C. So this is going back quite a ways, actually. Uh, my wife had thought I was running in like spot 21. Uh, and I was thinking at this point, this is I'm coming up on mile 76 that, uh, I probably was getting fairly close to the top 10. 
there was another climb up to checkpoint G where I downed another half a Coke and they kept going. So checkpoint G was actually at mile 76. Remember how I had mentioned the, the aid stations every 25 miles. So the, the 75 mile aid station was actually at like 79. Um, that climb, I remember that climb actually going into checkpoint D and it was, it was steep. I had to, had to walk a little section of it. So checkpoint G to aid station three at mile 79. I found myself out of my own through this section, but it went by fairly quick. There were a few switchbacks, but the climbs were not bad. I had some adrenaline pumping and came into aid station three feeling good. I, I almost missed the turn on the switchbacks coming into aid station three. Uh, as I was letting some of that excitement get away from me. I remember this. I, I was actually, I was feeling pretty good. I remember coming uh, around the corner through some switchbacks and you could see way down uh, where the, the aid station was at. You could see some some camp trailers and vehicles and stuff all down there. Uh, and I was, I, I do remember this. I was feeling good. I was, I was pumped at this point. Um, I almost missed, missed a turn on the switchbacks coming into aid station three. Luckily I was past the switchbacks that were along the edge of the plateau. Um, otherwise I'd have, I'd have dropped off. So, um, I remember kind of skidding off the, the edge of it. So it's a good reminder to respect the trail. So I found my wife with a truck parked near and uh, down to half a Red Bull, topped off my water again, and then took another cold water dousing over the head. Uh, we, we had a good system going at this point. Uh, I, I didn't even drop with, I didn't even mess with my drop bag either. So aid station three to checkpoint H at mile 92. Um, I made it out of aid station three with a race time of eight hours and 45 minutes and feeling strong. But I had 12 miles to the next checkpoint that would take me to the bottom of a near-empty well. Heat was kicking my tail and taking a big toll on me. Leg cramps were starting to get a little more serious and I had to stop and stretch a few more times. I could feel my body burning fat now and needed to get some carbs in me as I was getting very sluggish. And in hindsight, I mean, I, I don't know how you know that, right? I mean, at the time, I was uh, a couple years into it. I, I just, I do remember at the time, like, like, my jersey's unzipped. And I remember looking out of my belly and just feeling like it was just like, like skin hanging off. And like, I just didn't have any energy. And, um, I think I had gone a little bit too. Cause I was, you know, I was doing the, like the Cokes and the Red Bulls and some of that stuff at the aid stations. And I, I think I was not feeding in between them like I should have either. Uh, but anyways, I stopped right around mile 89 and caught some shade behind a tree. <laughs> I remember this. It wasn't much of a tree. I think the tree was probably like 10 feet high, pretty scraggly thing, but there was like a little like foot or two spot of shade next to it. I remember stopping and I, I ate a waffle, drank a little bit of water, stretched. Um, I, don't, I don't think I really stopped much. I think it stopped for like a minute or something like that and then kept going. So, but my de my body devoured the waffle and was begging for more. I had been here a couple of years ago in my first and much shorter mountain bike race. I say first, but I did I did do so I you know I went like ten years of being being fairly lazy. Um, and I say lazy. I just like living normal, right? I didn't didn't do a lot. I would I got the bike out 
every once in a while, a couple times a year. At some point, I went a couple years. I think my bike wasn't even put together. But um, anyways, back when I was going to college, I went to school at Michigan Tech. And, you know, we had mountain bike trails. So I wasn't super serious about it, but I rode for fun. And I, I rode quite a bit then. I think I, I even did a – I don't think I did. I had no idea. I did a couple of sport class races and, and whatnot during those times. So um, – and, and this is just, I bring this up because some notes that I wrote in my race report. So I had written in here uh, a couple of years ago is when I had gotten back into riding again. And I had gotten back into riding, I think it was in 2013. I think I did a little bit at the end of 2012, but it was that was right after losing some weight. Um, and the note I had wrote in my race report uh, and realizing that the slightly overweight dad bod was not working for me. So anyways, it's fun going, going back to these old reports. I know at some point I had two gels left and I may have taken one of them before the waffle, but I ended up finishing off the second one at some point during this time as well. Mind and mental fortitude can take you a long ways, but at some point you have to feed the muscles. I finally came into checkpoint H and I was running on fumes. I ate a banana and downed half a Coke. I had all kinds of emotions going through my head at this point. This was by far the toughest thing I had ever done, and even though I was hurting, I never questioned why I was doing this. I wanted to be there, and I wanted to test myself. Deep inside, I was absolutely loving it. I had come a long way in my fitness over the past few years, and I was excited about what I was accomplishing. That being said, I had been suffering to deep depths for the last hour, and I still had another 14 miles to go. My wife later told me that she was a bit worried for me at this point, and knew I was hurting bad. I'm the type of person that wears my emotions on my sleeve. On the outside, it must have appeared that things were coming apart, but on the inside, I was just getting the distractions out of my head and preparing myself to finish these last 14 miles. This is where the mental fortitude comes in. I had been yelling, yes, <laughs> out loud, just yelling out loud, at my legs to shut up for the last hour, and positive self-talking myself into every pedal stroke. And at the time, I wrote a note in my race report, something about thank you to whoever kept posting those shut up legs t-shirts on Facebook. Um, anyways, I took a dunk of water over my head, topped off my camelback and water bottle with some cold water. And as I left check, as I left the checkpoint, everything was right in my head and I knew I was going to make it. I, that is, so that mile 79 aid station to that checkpoint at 92 it's well, it's a long, long distance too, right? So it's 13 miles. It's during some of the slowest part of the, the race, in that I, I came in there with like a bunch of excitement of like, man, I'm almost there. Some realization that I was, I was actually going to do this thing in 12 hours, and, and then also a whole bunch of fear of the last the last 13 out 13 miles was just really took a toll on me so there's these mixed emotions and i don't know if you've felt this in a race before if you're in one of these races but you've you get these mixed emotions of like oh my gosh you're 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 doing it you're gonna make it but then there's the other side that's i still got i still got some ways to go and the fear of can I keep this up? And uh, yeah, the, not coming to that mile 92 checkpoint, that was the toughest, 
toughest one there was. I was I was a mess coming into that. So, anyways, I left checkpoint. I left the checkpoint thinking to myself, all I have left is less than a half a check forty. This is a piece of cake. I put that in quotes, using my kids' terminology. Uh, I was hurting still, and it took a couple miles to get my legs back under me. The gels and the bananas started to kick in, and my legs were coming back. It is amazing how the body works. By this time, I noticed a couple riders had caught me coming out of that last checkpoint. I knew I couldn't let up now, and I had to push on. I knew I was close to a top 10 finish, and I didn't want to give up anything. I kept squirting the water bottle over my head and pressing on. I was slowly picking up speed, but they were still hanging with me. We came under the I-94 tunnel to find ourselves backed up a few seconds while some horseback riders were coming out of the end of the tunnel. We were able to make, we were able to make our way around them, and I left, let my pedals have it. I think I was starting to get some separation from the other two riders, but they were hot on my tail. I arrived at checkpoint I with the adrenaline pumping. So originally, my wife was going to skip checkpoint I and just head straight to the finish. And when, uh, when I left the previous checkpoint, and I was just kind of a mess, uh, she, she decided to, to go to checkpoint I. Uh, but anyways, so I grabbed a half a banana, topped off my water bottle with cold water. Uh, I was actually something, I don't know, it's weird. I, maybe it's that this happens to me a lot. This actually happened to me this, this past weekend at the wilderness. Like I started getting closer and closer to the finish and the last like 15 miles started like ramping things up. And the last 10, I was like super strong. Uh, and this is that feeling that I had there. Um, it was just, some of it was a meant probably a mentalness of like knowing that I'm actually, I actually am going to finish this thing. So, um, I knew I, I was feeling strong at this point and I knew I was in the home stretch. I took off from the last checkpoint strong and kept the heat on the pedals. This was a completely different feeling from an hour ago. I made quick work of a creek crossing, got back on the pedals. Before I knew it, I was dumped out on an asphalt and making my way down a bike path to the finish line. I finally crossed the finish line in 10th place with an official time, race time of 12 hours, 5 minutes, and 26 seconds. I was doing 24 miles per hour when I crossed the finish line. I honestly could have kept riding. This probably sounds a bit demented, but there was a small part of me that was sad it was over. I was having one hell of a moment those last few miles. I don't think I actually stopped for another 100 yards after the finish. My wife asked me what I was feeling when I finished and it was a bit hard to explain. I was excited and I felt really good about how I performed and even gave a bit of a fist pump. I had won the battle from my from my perspective. You see, it wasn't really about the Mata Hay 100. The Mata Hay 100 was providing the atmosphere and the playground, but the race was going on in my head. I was making another step in my life's adventure and overcoming another battle. A battle I brought on myself for sure but you have to go out and put yourself in the battle in order to win it and show yourself that you can accomplish great things. At the end of the day, it is another stepping stone to your life story and what you will do with it. I left there thinking, now what can I go accomplish? The possibilities are endless if you never stop testing yourself. Idleness will kill you. We are meant to be productive, test ourselves, and accomplish great things. Anyways, Little, little deep and sentiment there that I had written in the, the end of my re-race report, but 
this was like at the time this is like it's still actually it's still like one of the hardest things i've ever done the the two hardest races i've done is this one the Matahe 100 and the margie gesek 100 uh and the Matahe 100 is always gonna kind of hold something special there because it was the first one that i did uh to that level so the uh i'm gonna read through i i don't do this on every report but some of my reports i put some some lengthier like afterthoughts in there uh so i'm, I'm gonna go ahead and read through what i had wrote about this race at the end it's just like three paragraphs in the report and i may maybe i'll add some more comments to it we'll see um but my post Matahe 100 race thoughts and again i say post Matahe 100 race thoughts these are the post race thoughts like at the time back in 2015 when i wrote this report these aren't the thoughts now um maybe i'll add some for it now this was by far the most brutal thing i have ever done never once during the race did i question why i was doing it though there are many reasons why racing the Matahe was the right thing to do and they are all good reasons it feels good to keep the trail alive and support another person's dream of saving the Matahe trail it was an amazing opportunity to race on the trail with that type of terrain and the legacy of Theodore Roosevelt to go along with it. I love traveling with my wife and kids, and we've been able to visit and see some amazing things because of the national park system and the state park systems. The race was not through the national park, but it was right next door, and my kids got to check another national park off their list and camp in another state because of this race. I thought the starting line send-off was fantastic. Thanks again to the race director, Nikki Barra, for memorizing and reciting the man in the arena quote from the Theodore Roosevelt at the start line. That was a really nice touch and set a great tone for the day. As far as my goals for the race, I really just wanted to finish without having to use my lights. I talked and planned for a 12-hour race, but I really didn't know what I was getting myself into or if that was really possible, which is why my drop bags were packed with so many extra goodies. I even had these nagging thoughts of a 10-hour race that would pop up, but I knew I wasn't ready for that yet. That will be for next time. I'm really happy with how the race went for me. I had done two Lutzen 99ers, but this was a different kind of race. I'm not taking anything away from the Lutzen, as I love that race, and I, I still do. It has a little bit of everything to it, but there was something a little special about the Mata Hay 100, and it was the ultimate test for me and where I was at at that time. To put things into perspective, five years ago, so seven years ago now, so five years prior to doing this Matahe, I couldn't ride more than five or six miles without having to stop and without having to rest for a couple of days. I would have been spending my Saturday drinking some crappy light beer and burning something on the grill's grill because I thought I needed one more beer of cooking time. That that sounds like fun, and it. It is fun, but I certainly wasn't inspiring my kids to do anything great. Saturday, August 1st, 2015 at the Matahe 100, my kids got to see me set a goal and reach it. They saw me suffer and push through it. They spent the entire day with my wife going from checkpoint to checkpoint. It was just as long of a day for them, but they were right there at the finish line sitting around me telling me, good job, dad. They were part of the team and the accomplishment. They had won the battle with me. So I I think that's probably the race report that I've written that might have the most sentimental or sentiment type comments to go along with it. But um, I, that was, 
that's the was a special race for me. I was, I was, you know, a few years off of of uh, getting back in shape again and doing something that was a massive test, massive challenge. And if I were to go do it again, it would still be a massive test, massive, massive challenge. So the uh, if you're headed out there, don't take it lightly. Have some sag support. Have some cold water in there. But uh, if you get the chance, stop. Take a look around at the what you're riding in. It's uh, it's a pretty neat and special place out there. Well, I've driven through there, I think one other time prior to the race, and then. Uh, but it was it's a pretty pretty cool opportunity to be able to race out there. So, uh, anyways, I don't know what what more I can actually actually say about it. But if you got any questions about the report, feel free to to hit me up anything, you know, with the podcast and stuff related, or if you just want to get hold of me, that's fine. The, uh, uh, podcast at endurancepath.com. Again, that's podcast at endurancepath.com. Don't forget to follow me on Facebook. If you go to, uh, my webpage, you'll easily find some links to be able to follow me on Facebook. It's just, it's on Facebook. I'm endurance path. Um, follow me on Instagram, endurance path under, it's a endurance underscore path on Instagram. And, uh, anyways, good luck. If you're headed out to the race, hope you're enjoying the, me going back and hitting up some of these race reports. Uh, I went a little out of order with the 2015s here, but knowing that the Mata Hay was coming up, I thought I would go ahead and kick this out. So, um, I, I, this is why I like the, the mountain bike races, this stuff. I like the, I like the challenge. This is kind of fun going back and, and reading through these. This was a bit of a long one. So we're coming up an hour here. So I'm going to pull the plug on it, cut it short. Thanks for tuning in. Later.